Ah, uh, kids. Some of you have them. Some of you work with them. Some of you can smell them right now. Ah, uh, children, children, children. Grandchildren. Is there anything in life that could bring us more joy? Is there anything with greater potential for heartbreak? On Monday, Caitlin and I were up at First Baptist Church with Pastor Reed and his wife at a fundraiser, a little missions fundraiser for uh, two ladies, Karen Lafferty and another woman named Jen. Many of you know Karen. She's a singer-songwriter here in town. They're raising money to go to Colombia and do some street evangelism ministry. So we're there, and Karen's singing these songs, and all of a sudden, a clown comes out of the side door, like a clown, right, with paint on. I thought these wild Baptists are headed again, you know, bringing in a clown during the worship set. And then right after the clown, a little girl, a little girl, maybe two, three, four years old in one of those little kid car things comes toddling right out. And it took me a second, but as I looked harder, I could see that this little girl, also wearing a wig and some face paint, had some pretty significant disabilities. Both of her arms ended at her elbows with one finger on either side, and as I paid closer attention, I could see that she was really struggling to follow her mom, the clown, to the center of the room. But she had a smile on her face from ear to ear. And when the song was finished, this woman's mom, the clown, Jen, stood up and talked about her 15-year ministry in Honduras and how a few years back she had met a young mother who gave birth to this child, Sulmi, S-U-L-M-I. Little Sulmi was born with some significant mental and physical disabilities, but Jen began to tell us the story of all that she was able to do. And how as they went out onto the streets of Honduras and street kids playing soccer in the middle of the road got to see this little girl and her smile and her affection and her love and the hope and the promise of the gospel, they began to think to themselves, well, maybe there's hope for me too, even in a hard place. And as I watched little Sulmi follow her mom Around And I thought about how encouraged I was at seeing her joy. It reminded me of this truth. This truth for you all, God's children, it's this. No one is invisible in the kingdom of God. No one is invisible in the kingdom of God. And so as we continue a discussion about the rhythms of grace, the elements of our service, and we come to the gospel journey, the gathering and the blessing and the sending of our kids every week to hear the gospel in their own language. I want to encourage us this morning through these scriptures to open our eyes to each other, to the children of this church, to the people that God has put you around in Santa Fe and in the gospel to ourselves. Why is the gospel journey a rhythm of grace? Call to worship makes sense, peace of Christ, but this thing we do every week, dismissing the kids, is that really a rhythm of 
grace or is it just something we kind of need to do? Why do we do it every week? Why do we do it publicly? Why do we take time to do it? You know, I'm, I'm German, so I'm always on the clock here. And, you know, over the years, I've developed a bit more freedom. We don't have to be constrained so, so deeply by, by time, but I mean, it takes approximately two minutes and 47 seconds to dismiss these kids every week, on average, over three and a half years. And why do we put so many of our, our resources into the ministry to children and youth? We have staffed ourselves to, to grow and love this ministry. Well, let me quote the great crypto-theologian, Confucius. If your plan is for one year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant trees. If your plan is for 100 years and more, plant children. Plant children. And as Jennifer Brenner told me this week, I love this quote. The children are not the future of the church. They are the church now. They're not the future of the church. They are the church now. And so we know our kids are cute. It is really actually, it's, it's endearing to see them up here and dance with them. And I didn't know y'all could dance. I'm so proud of you. Few of you need a lot of work, but a few of you, I mean, you made a joyful noise. I'm very happy. But it's more than cute. It's so much more than cute. We're not leveraging our kids for a glorified Hallmark card so that we feel sweet feelings. It's so much more than cute. These energetic, small, glorious bundles are a weekly reminder to us about God's grace, about the way that God sees us. A testimony to the fact that no one is invisible in the kingdom of God. Rebellion against the powers and principalities of the world that would set aside the small and the weak and the marginalized. A reminder that as we see these children, so God sees you. God sees you. And if it's true that God sees you, then how should we? as a rhythm of grace, see these kiddos. I want to show us four ways this morning. Four ways that we can see God and be seen by God as we see the children that the Lord has blessed us with in this church. Number one, we are instructed in the scriptures to see children as a blessing. Let me just define terms here quickly. By children, I don't necessarily mean your personal and particular biological children. That is not how the scripture speaks, not in the context of a covenant community. Some of you don't have kids. Some of you have grandkids. They're not here. Some of you have really struggled with this for years. Some of you have painful stories in, in the world of your own children and raising your children. So we're not talking about some sort of perf perfect, idyllic, platonic form of the family here. Like, like, here's the Christian way to have just the right kind of family. No. We're talking about the children of God, and whether you are young or old, those that He has put in our church. We are to see these children, our children, as a blessing. Did you hear that in the call to worship? 
Psalm 127. The psalmist, author unknown, says, unless the Lord builds the house, we build in vain. And he goes on to imply that the way that that house is built is that children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord. And so it is the responsibility of the whole church, regardless of biology, we have new spiritual DNA together to care for and love and train up these kiddos. They're a blessing. And I wondered as I was saying that, is it, is it even up in, for debate in our day? And I think it is. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we kind of live in a, a strange and ironic time. On the one hand, children are expensive and they're annoying and they're messy and they're always sticky. And who's got time for that? When I need to go to brunch and spend all my money on avocado toast. At the same time, I think we need to be careful to not idolize our own families and put our own kids on, on a pedestal, but to remember that they are the Lord's. We live in a strange, very child-centric age, right? Like 10, 15 years ago, we had helicopter parents. You remember those? They're like, mm, they just keep an eye on everything their kids do. Now my generation, forget helicopters, it's lawnmower parenting. What's a lawnmower parent? Helicopter parent keeps an eye on you. Lawnmower parent walks in front of you and makes sure to mow down any potential obstacles and trials you might face. So I think we need to, we need to discern the cultural moment we're in and our own hearts. And we need to beware. I read a great article this week in First Things. The title of the article was Beware of Dog. Now, look, I love pets. I have the best pet. I have a cockapoo named Bowie. This dog is so sanctified, it is about to float away to heaven at all times. And we will joke and be like, ooh, Bowie, our favorite kid. Right? I have been known to call the Bowie a fur baby, I will admit. Some of y'all out here even have little strollers with your pets. And let's keep going. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's Santa Fe. It's Santa Fe. You're allowed to do that. You're, I mean... Whatever. I'm not anti-pet. So when it, beware of dog has nothing to do with anti-animal. It has to do with this. Let's just be careful to not care more about our pets, to not care more about these sweet little things that do nothing but give us love than we do about our own kids or kids in general because they are sticky and they can be feisty and they can be in a supermarket and surprise everyone by standing up on a soapbox and giving a little dictator speech in the, in the realm of Kim Jong-il. And they don't care that everybody's watching and you're embarrassed. We have to beware of our own hearts. That's what Matthew 19 is about. All the rulers and religious folks said, whoa, Jesus, simmer down. We, we don't need to hear from the kids right now. And Jesus says, let them come. Those are the ones I want to come to me. We need to see our children as a blessing. And we have so much to learn from them, don't we, church? If we'll humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, don't we have so much to learn from them? They love big. Kids and grandkids, they love big. Their love is Big. I mean, they, 10 minutes ago, they were in trouble. They were frustrated. 10 minutes later, they don't remember any of it. They're hugging on your neck. They're kissing you. They just love big. They have so much love to give. This morning, I was leaving and walking down my stairs and trying not to wake anybody up. And all of a sudden, I see my, my little Violet come out of the room, covered in like 16 blankets, already wearing her dress. 
She says, Daddy, you can't leave. Why? I have to go to work. She says, well, I haven't hugged you yet. And like, oh, sweet, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It is because you know what? I don't, that's not how I live my life. I'm like, all right, everybody, let's go. Come on, boom. On time, we got stuff to do, things to get done. They just love so big. I also love their honesty. Proverbs 22 says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. What that means is that our kids, God bless them, are not born as little tabula rasas, clean slates. No, they're, they're sinners. And if you've ever had kids or been with grandkids, even though I know your grandkids are perfect, but other people's grandkids, as you've observed, are sinners. They are. Foolishness is bound up in their hearts. Kids are selfish. They're the center of the world. Now, Proverbs is not making fun of kiddos here. In fact, it's the opposite. On the one hand, Proverbs is saying these kids need to be trained and discipled and disciplined and loved so they grow up into godly, bold, strong adults with grit and resilience. On the other hand, let's commend their honesty. When a toddler has a tantrum, their heart is on display. They don't know the rules of society yet. Their, their passion for what they really feel and really want has yet not been curtailed by religion. And I think in some ways, Jesus prefers that to what we are often so guilty of, which is covering it up. Painting on a veneer to the brokenness that's inside. The way that Jesus spoke about this to the Pharisees was he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Kids love big. They sin big because they're honest. And they're so in tune with the glory and the beauty of the world around them. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. One of the things that I love about our children and why we need them in our lives is because to them, everything is big. Everything is glorious. Everything is awesome. You hear it? This last year, we went with our kiddos to Disneyland. Now, when you're a dad at Disneyland, it's all about, can I get a deal on a corn dog? I'm working the app to try to get to the Haunted Mansion. I'm pushing other families out of the way. But I mean, they walk into Disneyland, it's like they had stepped into heaven. So full of awe, so full of wonder, so full of the beauty of the world around them. They, they still deeply have that sense that the starry sky above and the flower below declare the glory of God. And they're creators. I think in this sense, our children are a blessing to us because they're, they're closer to Genesis 1 and 2 than we've been in a long time. They are creators of worlds. When I walk into the room and I see a pile of Legos, I see two things. One, an opportunity to hurt my foot. Two, sadly, so often, you know what I see? A mess. Oh, dang it. It's true, though. Shoot. And yet you give my kids a box of Legos, and in a half an hour, they are bringing one creation after another to present before me and say, look at what I have made. It is good. Creators of worlds, our children are a blessing. And doesn't that explain why Jesus was so eager to welcome them 
to turn the kingdoms of man upon their head, to present again the reality of the upside-down kingdom. Let these little children come to me. I think we're prone to consider certain passages in the New Testament as pretty radical. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. Whoa. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Caesar's image is on a coin. God's image is on you. Jesus walks into the temple and flips over the tables. But we shouldn't miss the radical nature of this passage. You see, in ancient cultures, children were deeply vulnerable, especially in the ancient Near East. Do not take human rights for granted. They don't grow on trees. You know what grows on trees? Spiders that eat each other when they don't like each other. So these things don't just appear out of nowhere. In the ancient Near East, children, even young children, were deeply vulnerable. They weren't seen for being cute and cuddly and wonderful. They were often viewed as merely useful to gather in more crops at the end of season. In some of the ancient Near Eastern cultures, Assyria and Babylon in particular, children didn't even receive the right of personhood until they reached a certain age and were able to prove their worth. And I'm sorry, but those who were weak and marred and broken and perhaps wounded or disabled or seen as unworthy were discarded. Into this, the Word of God breaks through into this tiny little Semitic tribe traveling around the Sinai Peninsula named Israel. And God speaks and says, no, Genesis 1, 27. Every man, every woman, every child is made in my image. And therefore, their worth is not dependent on what is bestowed by other men. It's not a gift given by their parents. It's not a decree or law instituted by their government. It is inherent to them. They are worthy as a person made in my image. And this means that we are to be those who are welcoming. And it's hard. We need to care, yes, absolutely, about fathers and mothers, about the unborn and also the born. And we can't be hypocritical about these things. We have to show grace and mercy to all and move toward, not away from. And as I was studying this week, I was filled with conviction. I was challenged in my soul because I think I can talk a good talk. I did study philosophy after all. I, I know arguments, some of them not very well, but I know them. But to do the work and the action of moving toward the least of these and the weakest of these, to provide for, to protect, to love, to nourish, to care for, it's a challenge. It's the challenge that Jesus gives us when he welcomes these children. And the disciples knew that, and that's why they were incensed. Look, if I know one thing about Jewish guys from 2,000 years ago, walking around the Sea of Galilee, claiming to be the Messiah with a couple disciples around him, if I know one thing, I know this. You didn't let a bunch of little kids interrupt a rabbi when he was in the middle of teaching, preaching, and doing miracles. It was unheard of. Little kids don't disrupt the important work of the one who claims to be the Messiah. The power of the rabbi comes precisely from the distinction of the generations. Respect. Learning. 
Be serious. Act your age. And it's right into that moment that Jesus says, let them come. I want you to note that when he does that, when he singles out these children, he actually gives them a place of honor. And he does more than give them a place of honor. He does something pretty incredible here that's easy to miss in the text. He puts his hands on them. It's not just because Jesus was being a good politician and he'd read the manual, you know. Talking points, buzzwords, kiss babies. No. When Jesus lays hands on them, he would have sent a signal to all of those in view of these kids that they were actually being commissioned. As it were, they were being ordained unto a task. And we know that because the very next word he says is, and to such as these, what? Belongs the coming of the kingdom of God. Let them come, because these are the ones who belong in my kingdom. We've got these religious people, disciples, thousands with need, but little children like this, with simple trust, with simple faith, with big love, with honest hearts, these are the ones who belong in the kingdom of God. And so the welcome of Jesus is for us too, adults, In fact, a lady came up to me after the last service. I said, I'm saying this in the next service. It's too good. She said, yeah, that was a a good sermon on children, but I just want you to know, older lady, she said, some of the most annoying kids I know are in their 50s. I said, preach, that is hilarious. I love that. And she has kiddos that are in in their 50s, and that's why she said that. I said, that's great. So this welcome is for us too. It's a welcome from Jesus to say, you know what? Can you rest? Can you belong? Can you not take yourself too seriously? Can you not think more highly of yourself than you ought? Can you not think you're too old or too smart or too set in your ways? It's an invitation to not overcomplicate your life and your faith. I mean, oh, to be a child again. To be able to just simply run into the arms of your father, not worrying what anyone thinks about it not worrying about what you think about yourself and knowing that when you do, you will indeed be embraced by his love. Mind you, when we talk about simple faith, we don't mean simplistic. As you grow and mature in Jesus, you will, I pray, love the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with your affections and emotions, but also with your mind. Rationally, logically, simple is not simplistic faith. Simple faith doesn't, get, doesn't check the brain at the door. Instead, it says at every stage of our lives, even as we grow, you are my God. You have been faithful, and I will believe anew that you love me. And that's why, number three, we need to see children as our future, church. As a blessing, as welcomed, And thirdly, as our future. I was going to see if Steve could cue a little Whitney Houston in the back here, but it didn't work out. I believe the children are our future. No? All right, never mind. Okay. (laughs) No Whitney. But when Jennifer talked about the 414 window, I wondered about my own story. We don't need to do a show of hands. 
don't need to do a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you in here between the ages of 4 and 14, that's when Jesus really got a hold of you. I know that's true for me. And so as we already said, the, the children aren't, aren't just the future of the church, they're the church now. Many of you are considering in the years to come how you want to leave a legacy. You've met with your advisor, met with your lawyer, you talk about setting up for your kids and your children's children. How are we going to leave a legacy here in this church? We have to see our children as our future and we have to act upon that truth. Because to know the grace of God is to give it. James says, you say you have faith? Show me by how you live. Of course, we know that we are saved, justified before Jesus Christ by putting our faith in his work alone. But although we are saved by faith alone, the faith that saves is never alone. And so I think as we consider our children, the question arises, how can we help? Whether you have kids, don't have kids, grandparent, parent, anything in between, it doesn't matter. How can we help? And I want to give us three ways that as a church, you have the opportunity to help. I'm going to give you an acronym that you can remember. KID. K-I-D. How can we see our children as our future? K, we can kneel. What an honor and an opportunity we have to pray for our kids. To pray for these families with kids. To pray that God would grow our kids in His grace and His truth. So when they show up to UNM and, and take their first class, they don't just get totally derailed by what they're hearing. One of the biggest things we can do that is so easy is just to get on our knees and pray for the people that we see in this church every week who have little kiddos. Pray for the moms and dads. Some of them might be really tired. And I know some of you think, well, join the club. I raised kids and I was tired too. Well, that might be true, but we should still pray for them and support them and love them. It's one of the great works we can do to pray that our kids would know what they believe and why and be able to live it out in the world. So kneel. Secondly, initiate. Initiate. One thing you can do to help is to, is to move toward these kiddos. You can initiate ways to support them, to support their families. You might consider having them over for dinner one night or taking them out for lunch. You might consider offering to babysit or even help out with a date night. You know, what's so incredible about that um, Deuteronomy 20 passage we read. Did you guys notice how weird that was? Anybody? Come on now. You're like, what in the heck are we talking about? The officers and this whole deal in the army? Let me tell you, it fits in right here. Here's the point. If you want to have a strong Hebrew army, you need to protect the Hebrew home. If we want to be effective for the work of the kingdom of God that he has given us to do, we need to together move toward protecting and providing for the beautiful children of our church. The text says, look, if you haven't gotten to do your house, go back. If you haven't planted a vineyard, go back. If you've been betrothed to a wife that is engaged and not even married and the chance to start a family, go back. 
That's crazy. Why would you send all these able-bodied warriors back to their homes? Because Yahweh knows better than us. If we want society to flourish, if we want our church to flourish, we have to see our children as our future. We have to work toward understanding that the only way to strengthen the Hebrew army is to protect the Hebrew home. So kneel, initiate, and lastly, dive in. There's so many ways to serve, and I want to say again, most of you are already serving. There really is no guilt here. Some of you just need to heal and rest and be here and not have any pastor yell at you, you know, serve, serve, do more. All that said, one way you can help is to dive in. Uh, Christian Smith is the, and you know, fact check me on this if you want, basically the, the preeminent researcher in the last 10 years on the religious lives of American youth and teenagers. He wrote a book called Soul Searching, published by Oxford University Press, and he is based out of Notre Dame. It's a phenomenal book, a massive quantitative study, a sociological work on really how do kids grow in their faith and stay in their faith? I mean, parents, isn't that our question? (laughs) I mean, we know it's the Holy Spirit, but we want our kids to really grow up and trust and love Jesus all their lives. And you know what Christian Smith says? He says, all the pomp and all the circumstance, laser light shows, pizza and pony rides, none of that makes a difference in the research. The single thing that makes a difference is kids realizing that they are a valued member of an intergenerational community where they can both contribute and learn from the adults and other children around them. I know some of you sitting there going, I don't understand kids these days. Well, I just got welcomed to that club, by the way. I'm 38. This crazy stuff that Generation Z is saying, I don't even know what they're saying. I just remember, like, we used to make up words, too, to rebel against our parents so they couldn't understand us. Well, now I'm far enough removed, I have no idea what they're saying. I walked into an Urban Outfitters the other day. I did not see one piece of clothing I could possibly wear that I would not look like I was in a clown suit. Okay? So... That doesn't, that doesn't fly. The older you are, you know what? The more story you have about God's faithfulness in your life. Kids don't need you to be cool. They don't need you to look like them or talk like them. They need the loving care of mothers and fathers and and grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith to just say, hey, can I take you out for a Coke? Ask you about your life. Have the opportunity to share a little bit of mine. And that will be enough. So lastly, because I say all that, right? Let's do the KID acronym together. Kneel, initiate. What was the last one? Dive in. And I think the danger here is that we can so easily hear all of this as law. We can hear it as parents with kids in our failings. Because almost every family I know is like, man, this is so wonderful and so hard. We can hear it in all the things we've struggled with or, or, or maybe in, in our own insecurities, in the brokenness of our own childhood. And so lastly, having seen children as a blessing, seen them as welcomed by Jesus, seen them as our future, we need to see ourselves. 
We need to see ourselves in the declaration of Hosea 1.10. That there was a people who were not my people and now they shall be called the children of God. We need to see a God who is the Father Almighty who sends his one and only Son to die so that we might now be adopted as children into his family. A God to whom you are not invisible. And he sees it all. He sees all your needs, all your joys, all your trials. He sees it all and he sees your deepest need. The deepest need we all have from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, the deepest need we all have is to be fully known and fully loved and healed in the arms of our Creator. It's so amazing. It's so amazing that the promise of the children of God isn't just for the children who come and stand at the wall, but it is for all of us. It's for the help we need when we look inward and all we see are the hard things. When we can't get it out of our own heads and the voices condemn. Or perhaps in our pride we look in the mirror and see, yeah, well, that's actually pretty darn good. I'm shining and spotless. For all of those things, There is a new hope, a new purpose, a new last name. Because we have been called the children of God. And as 1 John says, picking up on Hosea 1.10, Beloved, we are God's children now. Don't you want to know a God like that? Don't you want to know a God like that? A God that isn't, you know, condemning or yelling or wagging their finger, but who has done everything at the cost of his own son to bring you, sons and daughters, into his kingdom. With God, no one is invisible. He sees you. May he open our eyes to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, glory be to your name. What a joy, what a gift that you welcome us. That you give us children in this church as a blessing. Members of our community of promise. What an honor it is to have these kids and these families and grandkids. Lord, would you open our eyes to see them. To see you in them and to see us in them as you see us as you love your children. Our love for our own kids is is but a, a grain of sand on the seashore of the measure of your love for us. Lord, would you help us to believe it? Would you help us to believe it? Would you help us to be welcome into that grace? We ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.